Well, good morning again, everybody. Glad to see you here this morning. Um, we're going to be in Romans 15 today. If you want to start getting there, that's fine. Um, but, you know, as I'm, a lot of times as I'm praying in the back, I sit there and I wonder, I'm like, all right, Lord, is it going to be today? Is it going to be today that you completely change up everything I'm going to say right before I go up there? you just kind of wonder as you know you're praying about people and who you see and things like that and you know I know what I'm going to be talking about and what the Lord's taken me through this week and realizing it you know with this kind of a message there might not be some of the direct answers that you're always wanting to hear when you're going through different messages and things like that but it's one of those messages where maybe you're left in a place of wrestling and it's one of those things that as the Lord has walked me through and put it on my heart, it's been interesting to see the growth over the last few months and, and even into years as we've gone through a lot of the processes that we've gone through as a church body. You know, and as we continue to talk about these things, you know, I, I'm very uh, aware that we're entering into the month of December. And December is one of those things to where you have a few thoughts when it comes to your mind about what September is going to be like. You know, the weather is going to be a little bit colder. There might be a little bit of snow on the ground. Uh, and of course, Christmas. You know, Christmas is a season that is full of traditions. Um, sometimes through the season, we have expectations. We have excitement. Sometimes through this season, we have trials. We have hardships that we go through in terms of the holidays and what those can bring. You know, when you think about your family traditions, when you think about what you go through in this time of the year, what are some of those that stand out to you? You know, as a family, do you, do you have get-togethers? Do you have food? Do you have gifts? Do you have times of serving, other forms of ministry, singing, caroling, bakings, uh, baking all kinds of fun things, movies? You know, what are your go-to Christmas movies? You know, the big question is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, Right? You know, so you have all of these different traditions that you have. You know, it's a season where you get to drink hot chocolate and wrap up in a warm blanket. Uh, you know, when you think about these types of traditions, you have things that you look forward to. You have things that you're expecting. You have hope within this season. And it's one of those things that when we look for this upcoming season and we want to tie into what we talked about last week in terms of thankfulness, how as we enter into this season, are we thankful? You know, how do we continue to bring that into our mindset, no matter what our emotions or feelings might be going through at this time? You know, um, so again, that is gonna be kind of the goal as I go through some of these messages during the Advent season um, to continue this mentality of thankfulness and gratitude. You know, Advent, it's a season where we celebrate and, and we remember the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's a season that being on this side of the cross, we look forward in hopeful expectation to his second coming as well. We take this season and we, we go through the, the preparation of Jesus' coming, we go through the prophecies, we go through the fulfillments of those and what all of this means. We talk about his announcement, his birth, everything that's happening around this time. We go through a lot of different scriptures, very topically, to cover what, is, what his promises mean and what God's covenant is to his people. 
And as we look forward to that second coming and hopeful expectation, we usually come into this season with some different key words. And we, we tend to focus on those. And this year is no different. We're going to be talking about hope, peace, and joy. And Steve is going to have a, a wonderful focus on Luke 2 for us this year. You know, it's a, it's a glorious season. It's one that we reflect on God coming down in the form of a baby in order to bring salvation to all the world. And when we think about Advent, again, there comes a sense of expectation, one where we find hope. And hope is going to be our first term that we're going to cover this week. Hope is the idea of trust, to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. The New Testament is full of this idea of hope as being seen as confidence in God and what he has promised, whose goodness, whose mercy are relied on, whose promises cannot fail, to where we're trusting in the living God and his word. And today I want to look at you, or look with you in Romans 15. Now as I was studying this week, the Lord really kind of combined last week's message with this week's for me, and I'm hoping to convey some similar things today. So if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to, to join me and stand as we read God's word. We'll read verses 1 through 13 today. Beginning in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even, if, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Father, I just ask that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning, that we can see the truth of who you are as the God of hope, and that we would understand where our hope lies in strong and impactful ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right, now as I was looking for passages today, um, 
you know, I had a lot of different options that were ahead of me that I could choose. Um, some different things that I could focus on, different passages. Um, this isn't typically a normal Advent type of passage. The main thrust of this teaching surrounds the last verse um, of our section there in verse 13. It's the original verse that I was just going to focus on for this morning, but as I was reading more of the context, I had to keep going up further and further to understand the hope that's being described. And God kept showing up in strong ways, and it just kind of made me chuckle a little bit. And, and I get to the, the beginning of the chapter, and I'm like, okay, these first couple of verses, they don't really go with the passage, and I'm, I'm going up further into 14. And it's talking about how it's causing not, uh, or do not cause a brother to stumble. Thinking about, you know, how that, that section really kind of lines up with the first two verses there. And then I'm thinking, okay, maybe if I started at verse 3, that would be a good division to start our passage this morning. But you know, I kept praying through it. I kept looking at, at the verse, and I looked at verse three, and there's a distinction there. There's a purpose there. And to understand that purpose, you really have to go into that last part of 14 and the first couple verses of 15. And I began praying through, you know, what am I gonna be covering, and how the Lord's working through this body, and it's just kind of very cool to see how, when you're reading it through the lens of hope, how God can show up where I have these illuminating thoughts from the Spirit. And it's fun to have those. You know, when we're looking at the Bible, it's amazing to see what really pops out as God is speaking to you. So I looked at the stronger and the weaker brother teaching, and I don't know if you're like me, but of course I'm always the stronger brother, because why not, right? You know, you, th you think about those types of teachings, and I've studied this passage before, and I, as I studied through it this time, I looked at it through the lens of what we're walking through as a church and how we're wanting to disassociate from the alliance. How would I perceive this passage differently? How would I speak about this passage without having these fears of triggering some emotional distress or thinking that I'm trying to sway things based on how I'm presenting this passage? After all of that silliness and those attacks subsided, I met with the Lord in a very strong way. To understand that, as I often say, awkward is awesome, and God is still great. So we're gonna step into some uncomfortableness today as we understand Christ as our hope, hoping to shine a brighter light on who he is as our savior. Now, I will use the path that we're currently going on as an example of what we're going through as we're reading some of these scriptures. And I'm gonna use a lot of my own examples as well. Um, some of this might seem like projecting, but it's in essence more so wanting us to wrestle with what the scriptures say. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read scripture, I read scripture in a validating way. Oh, right, yeah, I'm right. Makes me feel puffed up a little bit, right? Um, so I want to go back up into chapter 14, and I want you to look at verse 13 with me. And we'll kind of hit this section a little spotty. But in verse 13, it says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, there are a couple of ways 
that I've read this type of a passage in the past. The first way is in a validating way. See, right here, this passage means that you can't put a hindrance in my path. If you're calling yourself a brother in Christ, how dare you put a hindrance in my path? Have you ever read scripture that way? When it, where it looks to your best interest? One where it, it makes you seem better? You know, where we're validating our own thoughts, assuming that what it's talking about is me getting to do what I want to do and that person not being a hindrance to me or that denomination not being a hindrance to me. You know, in, in this culture, in our society, I find that people get offended so easily and we jump to conclusions all the time. Many times we make things about us. But when you look at what it says here and how the text really should be interpreted, it should be as I should not put a stumbling block in front of someone else. Not that you shouldn't have stumbling blocks, not that you shouldn't have barriers, but I shouldn't be responsible for doing that to someone else. Then you skip down to verse 15. You know, and, and when you look at Verse 15 there, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Well, how's that my problem? They wanted to be a vegetarian. I mean, I eat meat. They should deal with it. You ever have those thoughts, those feelings that run through your mind? You know, when we look at verse 15 and we think about how it's their problem, then you go to the next part of the sentence there, the next part of the verse. And it was in this sentence that my study really hit me this week. You know, it caused me to check a lot of different things in my life, whether that's my anger, my communication, my intentionality, my serving, my ministering. It says, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You know, if we recognize that Christ is our hope because of his death, because of his resurrection, because salvation is offered through him, who did Christ die for? Who is it that I want to destroy? That slow driver on the interstate? That coworker that irritates you? That legalistic behavior that acts like a, a, a Pharisee? That liberal Christian that, that believes completely different than I do? Perhaps the hardest one to not destroy is myself. Being my hardest critic, my hardest judge. How many times today do I struggle with being a failure, not being good enough? Being a sinner that doesn't understand, that doesn't get it, that doesn't appreciate what Christ has done for me? That doesn't walk in the grace that I've been given? How many times am I destroying myself even though Christ is the one that has died for me? How many times a day am I focused on insignificant things? Scrolling through social media, being distracted by the things of this world and not things of the kingdom. You know, many times in, in preaching there's balances that need to happen. There's weighing that happens. A lot of times we relegate things to certain ends of a spectrum where it's all about truth or it's all about love, for instance. And, and, 
And we say that we understand that they're to be together because that's, that's God. They're both infinitely perfect in him. But when we're honest, we know that we kind of weigh more heavily on one side or the other based on the issues, based on the people that we're talking with, things like that. You know, a lot of times I find that when I'm discussing things like this and I'm weighing different verses or I'm looking at these things in my life, a lot of times I'm weighing things to the point to where I look better. Like, which verses am I going to lean a little bit more heavily on in this topic Well, the one that says that I'm right, of course, rather than struggling, rather than wrestling, rather than diving deeper with the Lord. It's a struggle that I think that we all need to wrestle with more. In chapter 14, let's look at verses 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbringing. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I need to pursue whatever makes for peace and mutual upbringing. Mutual upbringing in the faith, in the Lord, what does that look like? What does that look like to mutually uplift somebody I disagree with? Somebody that I have arguments with? Let me put this challenge out there. I've heard through our conversations, I've heard that it was said, that it has been said, that we want to follow what the Bible says. We want to obey scriptures. Which scriptures? Because what would it look like if we obeyed this scripture to our homes, to our marriages, to our church body, where we're mutually uplifting one another rather than tearing each other down? I mean, I know, I know the, the, the magic secret of that door, that as soon as you cross that door, everything is great. Everything's wonderful. But my heart breaks at some of the stories I hear, the counseling that I've had to do, the troubles, the, the problems that we go through are real. Too real to just fake in this building because we're in here. What would it look like if we obeyed these scriptures? Where we lived out what is written. Where it infused every part of our lives. Not keeping it vague, not keeping it generalized, but for us in this room. For us in our homes. I mean, I was able to assess my own wonderful times of putting my foot in my mouth this week times that I've screwed up recently, times I've had outbursts of anger. And I weighed this passage. Lord, man, he's so good. The way that the Spirit convicts. Then you look at, you know, the first part of chapter 15 and the first couple verses 
how even though, you know, I say I want to be the stronger brother, but perpetually I want to be the weaker brother, that way people have to put up with me and bear with me, rather me than me bearing with them. You know, again, a, a statement or a comment that's steeped in selfishness and pride that says I want to do what I want to do. You know, how am I pursuing peace? How am I building up others in ways that don't destroy a brother or sister's faith. This is the backdrop of what I went through this week. I wanted to share that with you as I was preparing for this message. And then I paused at verses three and four of chapter 15. Let me reread these. For Christ did not please himself But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, and as I was wrestling through this, I thought, why am I so offended when things don't go my way? or when I don't get what I want, when somebody reproaches me. Because the scriptures that I have in my hands, that I get to spend time with every single day, the scriptures tell me about the greatest hope in the world. And that is how Jesus took my sins on the cross, that he paid the price that I needed to pay. And now I have the mercy of God running through my veins. I have his praises in the gospel message at the tip of my tongue. At every breath, I could be sharing his praises. But instead, I want to focus on the hindrances and the stumbling blocks. I want to focus on the conflict. I want to, I want to focus on all the distractions. Well, I could be spending my time praising him because that's where my hope is. You know, when you rest in the hope of Jesus, all of this other junk in life can melt away. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have hard times or trials or decisions or fights and arguments because you will. But our hope that we have is not in our ability to be strong or weak. It's not in our ability to be right or wrong, offensive or offended. Our hope is in the person of Jesus, who is the Christ, the one true Son of God who came to save us from our sins. And it is for this reason that we are to be thankful, to be full of joy and praise, because he is our hope. I just sat with that this week. And then I continued to sit. I I continued to read. And you just read verses five through seven, this prayer that he has. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, there's not a lot to explain in that passage. Just sit with it. Now you could, be, you could be thinking about your own life and you could be seeing how this says to live in harmony and you could think, well, I don't have a lot of harmony right now. I don't, I'm not in one accord with Jesus right now. Might, you might look at the different areas of conflict that you're going through and you can focus on that. 
You know, and Paul says a little bit earlier in deals of conflicts, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, recognizing that it takes two. But here, here it's a prayer. It, it's a hope that God would grant this in their lives, that they would be able to, with one voice, glorify God the Father. And again, perhaps you look at conflicts, perhaps you look at differences, and you think, How? How can we glorify God together in the same room with such great differences? And I think that, you know, your heart attitude, your attitude that you have in understanding Christ and what he has done for you helps when it comes to harmony, when it, when it comes to the peace that you have with others because you're constantly, if that's constantly on your minds, it's putting you in the right mindset. It's putting you in the right foot forward where you understand that he has welcomed you so that maybe since he has given you grace, you can afford a little bit of grace to those brothers and sisters in Christ that you're having conflicts with. Whether that's in your home, with your spouse, with your children, with coworkers, denominational differences. It's a humbling thought. And then you add in Jesus' words that the same measure that you use to judge others is gonna be used against you. So again, this week as I was praying through this, I had a funny thought as I was thinking about, well, what, what, what does it look like in my life as I treat people with a lack of empathy, a lack of compassion, a lack of trust, kindness, Helpfulness, positivity, graciousness, boldness, truth, forgiveness, etc. What would it look like if Jesus treated me in that same way? And you think, nah, Jesus wouldn't do that. He's faithful. He's held to his word, right? Well, aren't I supposed to be like Jesus? If Jesus wouldn't do that, if he wouldn't have a lack of all those, those things, why do I? Why would I? You know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of using the same old excuses of I'm just a sinner. I'm just fallen. I just, it's just my human nature. I'm gonna do that. If we are to be like Christ, if our desire is to be like him, we need to start acting like him. He's given us how to behave. He's given us how to act. He's given us the truth. We have to be in the word to know what that is. So then it's a question of, do I have that desire? Do I have that passion to be more like Christ? Or do I just want to be comfortable? Do I just want to coast? Thank you for my ticket to heaven, and I'll see you on the other side. Again, it's humbling. We need harmony with, other, which, with each other so that we can glorify God together. That's, that's what the word says. We do it together because Jesus has welcomed us. Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. I read a story from Vernon McGee this week. Um, I've heard multiple stories like this from Older scholars, 
older pastors, a time maybe long gone, I don't know. But he said this, he said, a man said to me the other day, since you are very critical of the Pentecostal point of view, why is it that the Pentecostal brethren are friendly toward you and actually invite you to speak to their churches? And I said, well, the reason is that they have more grace, more of the grace of God than I have. A recent letter from a Pentecostal pastor read, we agree on too many things to let one or two differences separate us. When we agree on major doctrines of faith, though we may differ on minor points, we need to receive one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Although I disagree with Pentecostal brethren on the matter of tongues, I see no reason why I should break fellowship with them. I just pray that they will see it as I see it. And the very interesting thing is that one of these days, because we are in his presence, sorry, because I messed that line up. The very interesting thing is one of these days, when we are in his presence, we will agree. In fact, all will agree with me. Do you know why? Because I'm going to have to change a whole lot of things also. All of us will be changed. Changed into his image, into his likeness. Then all of us will agree. In view of, the, in view of that fact, we had better concentrate on the areas in which there is agreement now. You know, I've heard stories of, of, like that from other former pastors, peop, saints that have long since passed. It's a very humbling perspective to know that no matter how much you think you know, you're gonna know the truth one day. That's also very comforting that we're gonna be changed completely into his image. And you know, Mr. McGee, he's just a man He's a pastor, just like me. He might be a tad smarter, just a little bit. But you think about the attitude and the heart that we have towards conflict, towards disagreement. How can we humbly walk with those that we disagree with while standing firm on the word of God? And again, that's right where we are right now as a church. And that's why I've stressed that I want to try to walk this road in as healthy a way as we can. And I wanted to take a little bit of time this morning and commend you for those that came out to the meeting on Monday. My heart was so full after that meeting in how you represented yourselves and how with gentle eloquence asked questions, stood firm, and loved well those that you might have disagreed with. Now, there might have been a few moments of emotions or contentions, but at the same time, I left that meeting full of the Spirit with a good direction forward where I saw people that I loved and cared about deeply standing on their convictions, understanding, wrestling with the truth, wrestling how to still love brothers that were right in front of them that they may have disagreed with. See, in this passage and in the Bible, we see that the common ground for the hope that they have is in Jesus. And throughout the process that we're going through, I don't want us to lose sight of that. He is our only hope. Now, beginning in verse 8 in our passage, we see why we are to have hope in Jesus. You know, he became a servant to show God's truthfulness. 
This truthfulness is about the patriarchs and the Jews as well as the mercy that is shown to the Gentiles. Kind of goes back up to verse four to show how the fulfillment of scriptures come in Christ. The word of God brings us hope because it tells God's story. And I think we do ourselves a great disservice and we are in a great error if we're not in the word of God. Understanding what it says. You know, to have opinions to have beliefs outside of the word of God is dangerous because it elevates our own thoughts to that to the level of doctrine, to that to the level of word of God. And that's an error. But you know what Paul does consistently is he quotes what God says. And here he uses four different quotes from the Old Testament to back up what he is saying about Jesus to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. You know, and this is the Advent type of principle that's taught throughout the generations, that he was, is, and will always be the coming hope of God because he fulfills God's promises. Now, the first quote that he uses comes from 2 Samuel 22.50 and also quoted again in Psalm 18.49. The second quote is from Deuteronomy 32:43. The third is from Psalm 117:1, and the fourth is from Isaiah 11:10. You might have those references in the side of your Bible or at the bottom that you can always look up and reference. But you know, I I find it hard pressed to find another area in Scripture where the author is using four quotes like this back to back in order to prove his point, in order to make his point a little bit more known. And what this does is it shows more emphasis to the reader for us to understand the terms and what Jesus has done for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. To show the truthfulness of the word of God and how both Jews and Gentiles alike will glorify God because he is God. Not because of their background, not because of their upbringing, not because of their race, because of their denomination, but because he is God. You know, and we talked about this a little bit last week in our understanding. You know, our hope and our trust is in him, as it says at the end of verse 12. You know, earlier in the book of Romans in chapter four, Paul says this, in beginning in verse 16, he says, this is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told, so your offspring shall be. You know, and then as we move down to verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This seems more like a prayer that he is offering up. You know, and when you think about, let me ask you a question. When you think about talking to somebody new about Christ or you're introducing them to the word, where do you normally start with somebody telling them to, you need to go read this first? Generally, we, we 
maybe lean towards a gospel, and it might be the gospel of John. But almost, almost all the time, the second book that I always hear is the book of Romans. You know, the book of Romans is something that is packed full of different doctrine, of truths, of teaching about Christ's life and, and what his coming means for us as believers. And when I think about the book of Romans as a whole, there's definite breaks, there's definite categories that happen, different sections that we can focus on, where the focal points change beautifully in his writings. And now we're getting close to the end of the letter here in chapter 15. But I want you to read this verse in light of everything that Romans says, because I know you've probably got it memorized, right? We've read it so many different times. But we want to look at this, this verse in light of all of the book of Romans. You know, for the first and the only time in the Bible, we have this title for God, that he is the God of hope. And throughout the letter, Paul is talking about the work, you know, that's unfinished in terms of the believer's life and what God is doing in the believer. He's expressing that we're still under construction, that the Jews and the Gentiles alike all need to hear the salvation message. And as we read through all of the, the, the doctrinal teachings that are in this book, we build up in this, this trust in who God is. We see it all develop in terms of who God is, that he inspires hope, that he gives hope for us as believers. You know, it's been stated numerous times from this pulpit that as Christians, we are to be the most joyful people because we have joy, because we have Christ because we have been saved from our sins. And we place our hope in the one that, that gives us that salvation. You know, we talk about the mercy that we've received and, and how that brings peace in our life. Throughout our study in, in the word, throughout the unending joy that we see in Christ, we have this perpetual peace of God that rests on us where the Holy Spirit can then bring into us this abounding sense of hope. And our hope is in God and who he is and what he has done. And when we look at the Bible, we see the recorded history, the promises of God, and we are able to see those fulfillments. So very tangibly, we can build our hope and our understanding based on the time that we're spending in the word, based on the time that we spend with the Father. Because it's in his promises that we find hope in his name. Our hope is to be in Christ, the anointed one that is sent by God to pay for our sins, the one that came to, to pay the atoning sacrifice on our behalf. And as we enter into this Advent season, we need to reflect on that hope that we have in him because that can change our perspective in our daily life and how we're walking out our faith. We need to be able to interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ in harmony so that we may with one voice glorify the Father, because only he is deserving of that praise. We have to understand where our hope lies to change that perspective, because if our hope is lying in something in this earth, it will perish. We have to put our hope in that which is unperishable. Now today, it's not only the first week of Advent, but also Communion Sunday. And I want us to prepare our, our hearts and examine them a bit before we partake in communion this morning. So I'm gonna close our message with some prayer and then we will pause in silence to, to examine our hearts.
Um, and as we do that, I can ask the, those that are going to help with communion to head towards the back as well. But let's pray. Father, as we have so many different things that we wrestle with week to week, month to month, day to day, Lord, there's so many times that we just turn inward and turn towards ourselves and our own strength to solve our problems. And Lord, even though you have gifted us in marvelous ways, I pray that we, can, that we still have the heart and the perspective that comes to you first and foremost in all things. Lord, because as we turn towards ourselves, we begin to put our hope in ourselves. And that's the wrong attitude to have. So I pray deeply for a desire for you that we know and understand the hope that we have in you. Father, as we approach this time of communion where we were reflecting on what you have done for us through the cross, I pray that we can examine our hearts to repent and seek forgiveness for the sin in our life to turn towards you and walk in a way that is worthy of the grace that we have received. Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw us closer to you each and every day. That in harmony as brothers and sisters in Christ we can worship and glorify you with one voice. Help us to wrestle with those things in the world that distract us, to pull our hope away from you. Help us to look with your eyes on our brothers and sisters. Forgive us for those times that we were stumbling blocks, barriers, hindrances. Lord, I weep at those times that I've quenched the Spirit. I pray for those souls. I pray for an opportunity to seek those forgivenesses. Pray that in those times of my weaknesses, Lord, in some way you can be magnified. So, Lord, as we come to your table this morning, allow us to sit before you. silence and just seek you.